Birds are singing. The sun is out. Spring has sprung. Has your wardrobe followed suit? If not, you can get a refresh with Bombas, my favorite brand for socks, tees, and underwear that also has an amazing mission that we support wholeheartedly. Because for every incredible comfy item that I get from Bombas, they match with a donation to someone who is unhoused. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash hard things and use code hard things for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash hard things and use code hard things at checkout. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddlers in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets it's match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Hi, everybody. Welcome to We Can Do Hard Things. Today, we are re-airing probably the episode that has been the biggest maybe marker of change in my life in the last five years. Episode 165, it's called Glennon's Diagnosis and What's Next. It's the episode in which I tell you all about my anorexia diagnosis. It's the only episode of We Can Do Hard Things that I've ever listened to (laughs) from start to finish. And I chose it to re-air because I felt proud of it because I felt proud of how honest I was. I felt proud of how unbelievably beautifully Abby and Amanda held the truth that I shared. And I felt amazed by your reactions, by the space that you all held, by the stories you told us in response on our voicemails and in emails. And I think I chose it because this episode and the response was the first time I felt about this pod like I've always felt about my writing, which was there's some magic here because I get to be as honest as I can possibly be And the response to that is that other people will be as honest as they can possibly be. And in that, we can all be less alone. And I continue to believe that I'm the one for me. What are you doing? I just feel like my eyes look tired. Just trying to get him to wake up. Abby! Hey! How about that? Jeez. Yeah, good. Yeah, that, that really woke me up. Thank okay. you. You're welcome. Very appreciative of you. Well, hello, Pod Squad. Welcome back. To We Can Do Hard Things. And welcome to 2023. Ooh. We, we did it. are going to start this year with a doozy. As we doozy. <laughs> and <laughs> accidentally, this is becoming a tradition for us that we can do hard things where we start the year by making a devastating announcement. 
about <laughs> my mental health. Okay. So um, what we're going to do today is I am going to tell you, Pod Squad, what is going on in my life, a recent diagnosis that I got that has changed my life in many ways. And I have been kind of alluding to it in some episodes from last year, but I didn't feel ready to talk about it. And then over time, it became impossible for me not to talk to you about it because it is so, it's everything that's going on in my mind and my heart and my life right now. So every interview that we do, I'm seeing it through that lens and I'm talking about it in terms of the work that I'm doing. And it's becoming impossible for me not to talk about it to you. What's interesting is that I've only talked to four people about this mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, Pod Squad. You haven't really talked to me about it that much. So I'm I'm nervous and excited. I'm skited yeah. right now to hear from you because I don't really know that much. Also, do we want to give a little trigger warning? Yes. This isn't a trigger. This is like a this is like a grenade. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> this is a content yes. um blanket. Yes. A content weighted blanket. If you have mental health stuff, if you have eating disorder stuff, and if listening to someone talk about it very openly and honestly and in the moment and in a raw way and an unpolished way, if that hurts you, stop listening. We will be here when you get back. Mm -hmm. If it helps you, stay. Okay. You've come to the right place. Also, I need you to know that I have requested that my therapist, who is a renowned expert in all of these things is going to listen to this episode and take out anything that she feels like is inappropriate um, for this me to say or for this community. So there is some protections here going in. Stay tuned. Immediately following this will be the notes that my therapist had for me after listening. So, you know, Our friend Lizzie Gilbert always says that you write about or work on what's causing a revolution in your heart. And this is what has been causing a revolution in my heart. And I don't know how to do this. I'm not a person who compartmentalizes at all. So I don't know how to do this work where I'm bringing my whole self to it and not share this. And maybe if I waited a year, I would have a better perspective. But I also just think in a year, I'll just have a different perspective and not necessarily better. And I like the idea of talking about things more when we're in the middle, messy middle of it. Yes. Um, I love that. There, this world is too full of before and afters. Exactly. And of like going through it. You're like, oh, I have drawn my conclusions and my life lessons and I will impart them unto you as opposed to like, here I am in this big yes. old mess. And if I waited till I was an after, mm-hmm. I haven't, I've never been in that. I'm not, I've, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Who's an after? Yeah. I'm alive. I'm in the middle of it. I'm here. So last year at this time, I shared with the pod squad that I had had a relapse of my bulimia and that I was feeling a little bit lost about it and not ready to make any big moves about it just on the landing, I called it, go back and listen to that one if you haven't listened to it, that I wasn't ready to make any moves, but that I was at least standing still on the landing and not descending any further down the staircase, but I was not ready to ascend, to take any steps because I was too freaking tired of dealing with this particular mental illness my entire life. So I stayed on the landing for 10 months. I just did nothing and just stayed hyper aware of the fact that I was going to have to start doing some work. Um, I was open to doing some work, just not that day. (laughs) Do you feel like the 10 months was long or short? Like, do you think- Now it feels like a blur, like short. Got it. And then Abby and I were at this weekend with some dear friends. And one of our dear friends was talking about her child who was anorexic. And she was talking about the program that her child was in. And she said an offhand comment, like, well, you know, obviously she does things like 
they have to eat three meals a day without any talking about it without, there's no decision-making. They have to eat three meals a day. And then, you know, and they said it like, it was an obvious thing to me since I had been in the eating disorder world for so long. And I stared at my friend, like, that's the wildest (laughs) thing. Are you serious? That's amazing. That is something I should do. I spend most of my day trying to decide whether I deserve to eat breakfast or lunch because of whatever happened yesterday or because of what. So I spend a lot of my problem solving every day in my mind thinking about whether I should eat or not. And I thought, what an amazing idea just to decide you are going to eat. That would take away 80% of my mind anyway. I think what's interesting about that conversation you had was that you didn't know that. Exactly. Exactly. What was amazing about that is exactly that, Abby. It was that we went into a bedroom after that and I was like, how is it possible that that sounds revolutionary to me? I've been in the eating disorder world for how long? And this idea that she said to me offhand, like I would know it. I pretended to know what she meant. I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Of course. Like it's like mental health 101. Exactly. Like this is not advanced work. Yeah. Right. It was, it was eating disorder 101 and it, it sounded to me like an incredible revolutionary idea. And so that dissonance was confusing to me because I thought if people know that stuff, maybe there's a lot of other stuff that would help me that I don't know. Can I ask you a question? Was the revolutionary part about it that one would eat three meals or was it that there was a rubric, a structure that you could adopt that would eliminate a lot of the mental anguish and gymnastics in your head? It was that. It was the second. It was the 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 ladder. <laughs> I, I never know I never if know it's either. former or ladder. It's the worst. It was the... It the was trick the about re- that ladder sounds like later. It's the later one you oh said. Oh my gosh, oh. that's so good. Thank you, yeah. baby. Wow. Jesus. Wow. Well, now Amanda. if they don't get anything else from this pod, <laughs> they'll get that. Um, okay. So what sounded shocking to me about it and, and such a relief that I wanted to cry was like, wait, it's like someone decided you've lost your privileges. <laughs> of deciding whether or not you should eat. Like that's not, it's above your pay grade. So we have a system for you. And then I thought- structure liberates. You structure liberates. I thought, oh my God, what if there's other things? Still did nothing. Okay, I'm just like looking Mm -hmm. at the stairs. Mm -hmm. I tell Abby on our way home from that weekend, I should call that friend and find out who these people are that are working with her daughter. But of course I did nothing. So then Abby- one day reached out to them and said, please give me the information for the people. Because Uh, you, you weren't, you you couldn't stop talking about it. Yeah. You were still just so amazed and I could tell there was a little hesitancy and I did it unbeknownst to you. And then I, I, I asked you, I said, would it be okay if I contact this woman? She had already contacted me back and you were like, yeah, of course. And I was like, awesome. And then I didn't write her back, right? You didn't. Right. Yeah. Um, so finally, somehow. I put you on an <laughs> somehow. email. Somehow. I connected somehow you. Somehow I got into contact. I I connected you with the doctor that she gave. Yeah. And then you took it from there. Yeah. And interestingly enough, in the days before I was to have that first meeting, with this doctor, my bulimia came back hard. Mm. Okay. Ooh. Was it already scheduled? Yeah. Okay. It yeah, was yeah, yeah. scheduled. Uh-huh. That makes sense. And I was like, what is going on? Why am I doing this again? Remember when you told me? What did I tell you? You came into the bedroom because every single time you've confessed or whatever told <laughs> me about your relapses, you come in and you're like so soft and sad and you're like I did something bad that's what you always say I did something bad oh that's interesting and I knew what you meant and I said what happened you know and you said I relapsed again and I knew that this meeting was two days away and I just said come here you're just you're so this is this feels so natural to me that like you would want to get like your last bits in before you actually start going to do the real work. Yeah. And like we held each other and you were so sad. Yeah, I was. I didn't understand what was happening. 
And then the doctor that I talked to first told me that that is the case, that very often right before somebody goes into the treatment that they actually believe is going to take, because mm-hmm. they, they're considering telling the truth and doing the real work. It's like the last gasps of like, yeah, it's your protective self is like, you're, they're going to take this thing away. Yeah. Right. It's getting high on the way to rehab like that. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So here's what happens. I meet with this doctor. She's totally amazing. Someday I'll, I'll tell all of you all who these people are. I'm just not ready for all of that yet. But, um, I meet with her and then this, this two week or longer, it was so long. This intake process happens. Basically, I'm just like surrendering myself. I'm like, it feels like the people who like commit a crime and turn themselves in. That's how mm-hmm. I felt. Like I told the whole thing from time I was 10 to now, all the best that I could with where I'd been all that time. And then for the first time, they started doing all of these tests, like doctor tests, like tests on my body and like my period, just medical tests. And so it was this very- yeah, blood test, bone yeah, density, blood test, all bone the density, yeah. all the things. So, which you did all on your own. You didn't, you didn't require my help in setting up any of this stuff. I was really impressed by that. I mean, they really held my hand a lot, but yes. I know, but you, you walked yourself through that. I just feel really impressed. Thanks, babe. So we have our first big meeting that is like, this is our findings. You have to sit down with the doctor and she tells you your findings and diagnosis. Your, right, right, your diagnosis and your plan. So I sit down and please understand, Pod Squad, that I have come to these people and said, I am a bulimic and I've been recovered for this long and now I'm having relapses. And I just need to understand what the hell and how to get these relapses of my bulimia under control. So I can be less scared and freer and not in danger. And the doctor sits down and she says, okay, this might be jarring. So what our diagnosis of you based on your history and all of your medical tests is that you are anorexic. There are a couple forms of anorexia and one is anorexia with purging. Okay. But she says, you are anorexic. And I, I mean, if I could, there's no way that I could explain to you the level of bafflement, shock, denial, confusion, the shift of my identity as bulimic, bulimic, bulimic. And anorexic, anorexia is a totally different thing. Okay. It's like a different religion. It's a different identity. It's a different threat. It's a different way of thinking. So confusing. And it shook me very deeply and I did not believe it. I was Mm -hmm. like, that's just wrong. I didn't say that of course, but I was just like, uh, huh okay, I guess we'll just get through this somehow and then I'll find my way out of this ridiculous situation that I'm in. Then at the end, I said, I feel like this is an amazing overreaction. I don't, I do not think that I'm anorexic. I know anorexic people. I see what anorexia looks like. I don't feel like I look anorexic. I don't feel like I, and the doctor said, that is a very anorexic reaction to have. <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, oh, I feel stuck right now in this conversation because I feel like what you're saying to me is that if I say, okay, I believe you, then I have anorexia. And if I say to you, I do not believe you, <laughs> then I have anorexia. So I don't know what to do right now. And basically what she said was, I am an expert on this. We've done all the tests. If I were a doctor and I went to a person and said, you have a cancerous mole on your back, the reaction likely wouldn't be, no, I don't have a cancerous mole on my back. You have a cancerous mole. That is not a normal reaction. 
to a doctor's diagnosis. Um, And then she told a really, really interesting little tidbit that was like, me telling you that you're anorexic and you saying, I don't think I'm anorexic because I know a person who's anorexic, who's, you know, five times skinnier than I am or whatever, is very similar to calling a firefighter and a firefighter coming to your house and getting out the hoses because flames are coming out of your house. And you looking down at the sidewalk and saying, I've heard that when houses are on fire, the sidewalks bubble and my sidewalk's not bubbling. So could you go home now? Mm. While the firefighter is saying, but there's flames coming out of your window. Mm-hmm. So I finished that meeting. I told Abby that night, or maybe it was the next night, we were in the kitchen and it had been a kind of a quiet couple days. And Abby was cooking something. And the Indigo Girls song, Power of Two, came on. We were standing by the refrigerator and you just kind of hugged me and grabbed me. And there was, there's that line in there that's like, I'm stronger than the monsters beneath your bed, mm-hmm. stronger than the tricks played on your heart. Look at them together and we'll take them apart. And I, in that moment, that's one of our songs, Power of Two. And I, in that moment was like, yeah, it's okay. Abby's here. She's got me it's going to be okay. And then you pulled away from me and you said, I can't do this for you. That was really brave, Abby. Holy shit. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. She pulls away from me and says, I can't do this for you. And it wasn't accusatory. It wasn't like, you have to do this. Like, it wasn't like that. It was like, she it was wasn't the, like, this is too much for me. No. It was like, I do it if I could. Yeah. And I can't do this for you. You have yes. to do it. Yeah. It was yeah. like her having this realization in the moment. First of all, she knew what I was thinking in that moment. Mm-hmm. She knew I was thinking she's stronger than the monsters beneath my bed. She's got this. And I think when you are a person who is a little, I don't know how to describe the word, like is a little wobbly. You find people who are not as wobbly and then you somehow feel like you are us. Like I am not just me. I am us and you're not wobbly. So I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And it was Abby's way of saying, oh my God, I can't, this is up to you. And this is like scary news for both of us that Mm -hmm. this is up to you. I can fix every remote. I can go, I can go through the house and follow you around and make sure things, everything's working, but I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And that was, if I could explain to you how chilled to the bone I was by that moment, we, I did not speak for the rest of the night. I went to bed very early. I laid there like, fuck. I've never felt so alone in my own body. So I am the sick one. Apparently, everyone's telling me. And I'm also the one that has to fix the sickness. Like, yeah. How? How? So And for a pretty codependent couple, <laughs> that was a really hard thing to experience through because I think I realized that maybe my proximity to you was enabling some of this Mm -hmm. in some way, not that it's my fault or anything, but I just think that it was really important to say that out loud for you and for me. Mm -hmm. I think it was incredibly courageous. You're the one who got her connected to the doctor. It was almost like that was necessary, necessary, but not sufficient for her to get well, but she wouldn't have been able to get well unless she, or started, unless she really took it on as hers. Yeah, It's like getting sober. You know, when you make it about you and someone else, it's never, ever, ever going to work. Yep. And I, I pride myself. I mean, one of my greatest identities is being your partner 
and being able to care for you. And mm-hmm. in my mind, I think some, some ways better than you would care for yourself. Well, yeah. And, and so it's like, this was a hard thing for me to say because I had to let go of this part of my identity and get how I get my worthiness and how mm-hmm. I feel and, and express love. Yeah. For you to say, I can't do it. Was it, hard. it was a really, I just knew in that moment what you were thinking. And I knew I had to say it. I ha- it had to be out loud because you needed to take complete ownership over this process. Yeah. The weather's getting warmer, which is wonderful because we can say bye-bye to big bulky sweaters and jackets and hello to shorts and tees. I just ordered three of Quince's muscle tanks. Check out their European linen shirt dress. I got it in the blue and white stripes. Classic. It's beautiful and summery and gorgeous and linen, and it was less than $50. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, and Quince cuts out the costs of the middleman and passes the savings to us. But they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. You will love all of it. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash hard things for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash hard things to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash hard things. It was a big shift in thinking to me because I was like, and I don't know if anybody in the pod squad can relate to this, but I was like, I did it. I'm doing the best I can with what I have. And I have surrounded my children with the people that they need. And I have created these units of health and strength. And that's good enough. And then I realized, oh, I, inside here, if I don't figure this out, I could die. And then what good is all of this like unit that I've created for my kids and my, it was just a very interesting night. Yeah. You've built a really beautiful life to leave early from. Right. Yeah. So, so then the next morning I picked up the book that this doctor had written. Okay. And I started reading about anorexia and the grief that I had the night before or the terror, I guess, that I had the night before just intensified tenfold because I started reading this book about what an anorexic's life looks like. And I don't know how to explain the feeling of reading things that you have, that you thought were part of your personality and who you were. <laughs> yeah. And reading that they're actually just a collection of symptoms of an effing disease. So, you know, I don't know how to explain all this to the, but it was like, it was explaining what a hungry brain, how a hungry brain walks in the world and sees the world and experiences stress and experiences anxiety and all the things that people who are anorexic do, like create intense, ridiculous, overwhelming boundaries, like becoming overprepared for everything, including every moment of life, living with high, high anxiety, trying to be unimpeachable in every way, just being extremely, extremely disciplined. It's like partly anorexia becomes like a religion of control. Mm-hmm. As you were reading that morning, I'll never forget it. You just kept going. <sighs> Holy shit. Holy shit. Just, you couldn't believe it. It was like you were reading a biography of yourself. <laughs> I know. And somebody saying, this is actually not a biography. This is just eating disorder brain. Yeah. And it was so weird because it was like, well, first of all, it is stunning to be a person whose life and work is about self-examination. Okay. Like is about discovering the nuance and minutia of who we are and 
talking about it every day and then not know Mm -hmm. this information about yourself. It's like humiliating on a level. It's pretty impressive also Well, that you could ignore this part of yourself. I know. It is interesting (laughs) when you think about, I'm reading this book about anorexia and it's all brand new spanking new information to me. And it's blowing my mind as if it's the first time I've ever heard of an eating disorder. And the first meeting I had with the doctor after this, when I was open to this idea, she looked at me and I had, I was in my office. I have 4,000 books behind me because all I do is read books. And she said, have you read all those books? And I said, yeah, I have read all these books. She goes, do you think it's interesting that you do not know the first thing about anorexia, all of those hundreds and thousands of books, and you haven't read one book you have avoided information about this disease like like you knew you needed to. Yeah. It's so interesting though, because it's like when your only tools, a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. I'm sure there is some deeper psychology to you knowing at some level and avoiding it like hell. Mm-hmm. And if you thought because you were diagnosed when you were 12 or whatever, with bulimia, you thought that the periods where you were quote unquote sick were the periods where you were exhibiting that Mm -hmm. and that the periods in between when you were exhibiting that, you were just yourself. Exactly. So your only point of reference was that is the indicia that I am sick when I am purging. Exactly. And all the other times is just, I guess, who Glennon is. And so you Mm -hmm. didn't realize that the whole time you were sick and the way of thinking in between those periods of purging was also diseased thinking. Yeah. And it was just punctuated Mm -hmm. by the bouts of purging. You just thought that was you. Exactly. And more than that, I think What happened is that I solved my bulimia with anorexia. Mm. Okay. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, so a bulimic and I was bulimic. That's like Mm -hmm. a no brainer. Yes. But it's like becoming a dry drunk. Mm. If if you're comparing it to alcohol, it's like you don't ever figure, I was horrifically bulimic for a very long time. And then I got pregnant and I was like, done. I am done with the shit. I am done with the shit. I never, not mm. once, went back and really figured out what the hell happened to me. I just wrote, I was overly sensitive and I, and this is just who I was. And I didn't excavate. I didn't look at things. I didn't mm-hmm. do the work. Had I done mm-hmm. the work, perhaps I would have discovered more of this. But instead, I just used control and discipline and willpower to crush my bulimia. And And that happens all the time. Think of the people who have been traumatized by an infidelity and then they go on and have relationships with people who are emotionally unavailable so they never have to risk having an intimacy and a breach again Mm. or make themselves invulnerable to connection. And they're like, look, I have this relationship. I got over that. But you're like, did you? Yeah. Mm. Because you're creating a world in which you never actually have to go to that place again. Yes, that's what I did. Yeah, believe me, it was obvious, the purging. It's just an obvious, that that's the, the thing that makes it, anorexia is a little bit more confusing mm-hmm. to diagnose. But in retrospect, the anorexia is obvious too. I know. Like, and- I kind of feel a sense of responsibility of that too, because it's clear I'm not trying to self- centralize this, but we do so much interrogation of like, you were a little kid and you were going through all of this and how come we didn't all bring it out in the open and deal with it together? And it's been very clear that your restrictive, controlled eating for years has not been a source of ease or joy or peace for you. Mm -hmm. And I look at pictures now, part of the embarrassment of it is is looking at myself and feeling like maybe it was obvious to everyone else. I can't Mm -hmm. even think about that. Like I look at pictures now and I'm like, like I look at pictures of me before the untamed tour and I'm like, what the, oh my God. Like Mm -hmm. it 
looks so obvious. It's like embarrassing to me. And you know, some of the other things, it's like your, the heart, my heart rate is, is way too low. My period, my hair, my like, I don't know, all of the bones, all of these things. And, and also the, the couple people that I've told what is, makes my heart go blech is that when they don't look surprised, they're not like, wow. They're like, huh. It feels like bulimia is like being an animal. And then I fixed it by becoming like a robot. And I feel like, you know, thinking about the embarrassment of it, thinking about, okay, this writer of Untamed was like anorexic the whole time I wrote it. Like, it's so freaking weird. Mm -hmm. But I just keep thinking about how hard it is to be both the detective of your life and the mystery of your life. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Because a mystery's job is to remain a mystery. <laughs> exactly. That's the mystery's job. Exactly. And I am good at it. I am like a great criminal. I am a great mystery. I'm like, no, there's more turns. And it's like my the mystery of me just outpaces a little bit the detective of me because I'm a really good detective too. I'm just not mm -hmm. as good as the mystery. Yeah. So, and you're a really good writer. So you're like, how it works is as long as the mystery stays just one step ahead exactly. of the detective, then the detective can be good and so can the mystery. <laughs> Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location. It's the neighborhood. It's so much more. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with state rankings and student-to-teacher ratios. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. I have a question. So you, you said there's this embarrassment thing, and I wonder what's underneath embarrassment of it all. Because I know that your intellectual mind and your body and your, your emotions around it, they're very heightened. But I do think embarrassment is giving a lot of um, out there power. So what would you say is like underneath the embarrassment that you feel or that you've been, been feeling around because, you know, the patriarchy has its fucking talents in all of us. And so the fact that you do this excavation of yourself and the fact that you want to be honest and work into the minutiae of yourself, you didn't write untamed. And at the end of it are like, well, now I'm I'm untamed and I'm free. Well, I think what I did is what I wish for other people to do, which is that I wrote the truest, most beautiful self I could imagine. Yeah. and that freedom, I can taste it. It's right there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's why mm -hmm. I'm willing to do this work because I'm doing this for my 50 year old self. That's what I keep telling myself. Like yeah. I am doing all of this right now because I love my 50 year old self so much already. And I want her to be a little bit freer than I am right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope I truly, I, I, at the moment, I really hope that this is the, the last, <laughs> the last mystery, you know? I mean, You're I told like, my mom. It's like, take this step and the path will appear. Yeah. You're like, I'll take this next step, but only under the um, assumption that it's the last fucking step. Yeah. Like, I feel no done. More. I Women feel done with surprises. I feel like, you know, five years ago, I thought I was a straight bulimic 
Pisces. <laughs> and now I'm a queer anorexic Aries. And I just feel like I don't want to f- next year to go to some therapist and find out like I'm actually a Republican or something. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I feel now like that would be a plot twist. Right. That That's when I'd come to the pod and say it's over. Women in their fifties and sixties right now are giggling because they know that there is still so I much know. more to uncover, but They're let's thinking, just work. Let's oh, just think sweetie. about today. Let's think about today. Yeah. Today. Yeah. What's also under the humiliation of it. And I'm getting through that. I mean, humiliation, it's humble. It's of being of the ground. Humus mm-hmm. is the, the root of that. It's, it's, we're all made of dirt. We're fucking dirty. <laughs> like we're messy. We're dirty. Yes, you are. Being, being humble is just admitting that you don't know exactly from where you came and where you'll be going. And that's where I am right now. I think that being a woman who has made herself public and talking about this kind of thing and knowing what might and will come on the other side of it, because I'm so grateful for the pod squad right now. Like, I feel like I'm going to speak for myself to you because I want you to know. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not speaking to anybody else about it. It's a family meeting. It's a family meeting. And because of that, they will say what they're going to say. And that's just like part of it. I haven't worked it all out, but it's just part of the fear. Right. The embarrassment. And also I'll say to the people who would say, oh, telling everyone to get free and she was anorexic the whole time. That is a person who doesn't understand what Untamed is about. Yeah. Because it's the same person who would say, she wrote Love Warrior and then left her husband. Of course, when you get to the path of the Love Warrior and you understand the next step is that, you do it because it's the thing you need to do. Mm -hmm. And if you stayed because you were the Love Warrior, you actually wouldn't have been a Love Warrior to begin with. And you go through the untamed process and you're peeling back and you take that brave next step and the next step appears and you either tell yourself, oh, I'm not going to take that because then that will give someone ammunition against me. Mm -hmm. Then you're just as caged as you were before. Mm -hmm. Like you have to allow yourself to take the next step and the next step. And that is actually what untaming is. That's exactly right. And I also want to say this because there is the element of part of the embarrassment is like, you know, the, the, <laughs> the refrain of untamed is you're not crazy. You're a goddamn cheetah. So getting to this point in my life and having yet another whack-a-mole manifestation of mental illness come into my life. Cause that's what it feels. It's like my whole life is like, it's, it's addiction. It's bulimia. It's depression. It's anxiety. It's anorexia. It's like, just, it just keeps popping up in different forms. One could start wondering if it's like, I am crazy and I'm a goddamn cheetah. <laughs> like, I'm not, yeah, right? Yeah. So there is that element, but I will also say this. I am thinking about all of this on a very wide level. I am thinking about the fact that I have always been an extreme version of what is happening to all of us. And there is a part of the, and I'll talk about this on another episode, but I'll talk about how this treatment is going for me. What I will say is how the treatment is going for me is a little bit like when I lost the dogma of Christianity. And I was so discombobulated that I didn't know what to do. That is what this treatment of anorexia feels like to me. It feels like the discipline, the discipline. I just kept thinking in my first couple months of treatment, analyzing the discipline with which I have led my life, the discipline in body, the discipline in beauty, the discipline in work, the discipline in parenting, the discipline. And I just kept thinking, if you are committed to discipline, that means that you are a disciple of something. Mm. What the fuck am I a disciple of? And what I think that I am a disciple of, or what I think that anorexia could be looked at as a discipline of is white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. Stay quiet, stay good, stay perfect, stay hustling, stay grinding. It's like, you know, that quote from Naomi Wolf that I've always loved so much, that a woman's thinness is not about beauty. 
It's about obedience. It's about being a soldier, a warrior for control. Mm -hmm. And there is something underneath that, that all of us, I hope, I don't want to make disciples of that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be that. I don't want to live in fear of anyone in the world seeing proof of humanity on my body, seeing mm-hmm. proof of joy, seeing mm-hmm. proof of indulgence, seeing proof of uh, deliciousness, seeing rebellion like, against all of that. Yeah, but when we when we are addicted to this idea of thinness, it's like refusal to prove ourselves human as women. I was walking on the beach that I've been doing a lot of walking and I was thinking about over walking or not. No, just quiet walking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, No, not like I'm not allowed to do that. (laughs) And I just kept having this thought of like, I'm going to have to replace my religion of control and discipline. Mm Mm-hmm. And it made me think of Liz and how she used to tell me, well, I used to have such a a problem with the 12 steps and because of the patriarchal ideas there. And she would say, you just have to decide, you have to create your higher power. You have to create one that you can get behind following. And so on a deep level right now, like that's what I feel like I'm doing. I'm doing treatment, but I'm also wanting a new God. Mm. that is not control, that is not, I'm not good enough, that is not self-restraint, that is not self-denial. I Mm. think what's so interesting about that, of everything you've just said with the disciples of white patriarchy and all of that, I think you're a disciple of control Mm -hmm. and you came to that because you were so desperate because of your love for your kid to control your bulimia Mm -hmm. and you controlled the hell out of everything. And you have so much love for your family, for this community, for everything that you thought that if you just applied what you knew about control in every aspect of your life, you could keep yourself safe from bulimia, from everything. You keep your people safe. Mm And that could be what you could do to to know how to get there. And when women are controlling themselves, when people are controlling themselves, what they are not doing is reaching their natural intelligence. Sonia Renee Mm. Taylor tells Mm -hmm. this beautiful story about Marianne Williamson. She retells it um, from a framework of radical self-love and Marianne Williamson talks about an acorn falling from a tree and that no one trains the acorn Mm. to grow into a tree. No one controls it and teaches it how to be a tree. It just has the natural intelligence. And we trust that that is true, Mm -hmm. but we do the opposite with ourselves. Wow. Mm -hmm. We control the shit out of ourselves. And when we control the shit out of ourselves, we cut off at the roots our natural intelligence. And when we cut off the roots our natural intelligence, what grows in place of that is white supremacy. Because Mm, what is going to mm. take that down is us unleashing our natural intelligence, our full power, our full liberation. Because when we do that, there will be no structure of white supremacy being upheld. And so what I might suggest you become a disciple of is your own natural intelligence, Mm -hmm. your own appetite, your own joy, your own going towards that. Like you've always said, what feels warm, because that is the thing that you have controlled out of yourself. I think that, first of all, thank you for everything you just said, because it's so freaking beautiful and exactly right on. And I think we're saying the same thing about the the last part. When I think of Mm -hmm. creating the higher power, The reason why Liz is saying create it yourself is so it's an expression of your natural self, right? Mm. It's not like I'm making up this God that I think will then be flying in the sky. That's not it. The higher power is everything that you 
can think of in terms of beauty and goodness and freedom. Mm -hmm. And then that higher power is inside of you. Yeah. And so when you're looking for wisdom and joy and your best natural expression, you are looking at your truest, most beautiful, best natural expression as your own higher power. I also think that it was probably really confusing for you for so long because you were getting positively affirmed with your control and and your success. Nothing but rewarded. And, and the kids are, you know, well-adjusted and good and all of the things were making it really hard. It was just like all this evidence was stacking in, in the control's favor. Well, the world loves a sick woman. Mm-hmm. The world the loves problem, a sick woman. The only negative symptom of a woman who fully controls herself is that she feels crazy. Yes. And that negative system helps the outside system. That's right. And so you have to say, notwithstanding all evidence to the contrary, that is affirming the shit out of my controlling of myself, I don't want to feel crazy. Because you're not crazy. You're a goddamn genius. Mm-hmm. Like the craziness inside of you is, is whatever your particular thing is. With you, it was controlling the shit out of yourself, which was making you feel crazy because you wasn't you. It was mm-hmm. hunger brain. Right. Because mm. following directions, if you're following directions well of the, our culture, you will be sick and feel crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But- I will keep insisting that it's just following directions. It's just being an A-plus student of what the world tells us women should be. Pod Squad, we know about you. You, like us, pamper your pups with clothes, fluffy beds, toys all the days, any little thing their goodest hearts desires. Why then would we settle for burnt, smelly pellets in their dog dishes? Maybe you don't. Maybe you go with the farmer's dog like I do for Seamus, and you reap the benefits of giving your dog real, fresh, healthy food. It looks like real food because it is real food. It's made with human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. It's even fun signing up. You answer questions about your dog, like what health issues they might have, how old they are, what breed and personality they have, and more. You're not only getting fresh pre-portioned food, you're getting fresh pre-portioned food for your specific dog. And your dog may just have a newfound respect for their human Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. Food made in human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. Maybe more. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things things. I think we'll stop there. And I want to continue this conversation for the pod squad because I do want to tell them what it has looked like for me. And I want to assure them of what the work that I'm doing. And I just want them to know right now, it's too much to get into right now, but I do want you to know that I'm doing all of the work. And I do know one of the things that when I was sitting on that couch reading that book that I read was that anorexia is the second most deadly mental health disease in the world, second only to opioid addiction. So we understand. And I am working towards being a much freer 50 year old. And at the risk of sounding grandiose, I am wanting to do this work for me, but also for all of us. I so value and am constantly amazed 
by this community and just the fact that we all get together here together. And I know that listening to my voice means something to you. And I want to help us all not be disciples of pain. (laughs) You know, I've been sitting here and for whatever reason, I never do this, but I was just like listening to you and thinking, and I've been right here with you watching you go through this. And I'm just so grateful to whatever kind of God you are creating right now and the learning and the the difficulty that I have seen you go go through during this process is for me feels miraculous. And you've taken a huge leap of faith in yourself. And, you know, I think I'll speak for the pod squad here. Like we want you to stick around for a long, long fucking time. Mm. And I was just saying little thank you prayers to whatever God is, because I think that so many factors had to be kind of perfectly laid in this path for you and for you to actually hear or, or acknowledge that these little whispers life was giving you takes an extraordinary amount of courage and you are rewiring your brain and you Mm -hmm. are redeveloping a sense of yourself. So, well, I remember Alex said, because I was like 46, seriously, 46, we're going to start this shit over. We're going to, I'm 46. And she goes, yeah, but this is probably the first time you've ever been stable enough in your life to do this kind of work. When were you going to do it in the middle of your last marriage? When were you going to do it when you were building this thing? When were you going to do it when you were dripping with children? Like, this is the first time where you've had someone so stable next to you that you were able to fall apart. Mm. So, you know, it's important not to judge the timing of our lives because Mm -hmm. it's maybe exactly right on time. Yeah. And I just want to say back to you what you've always said about there's no such thing as one-way liberation. And I have just noticed about myself in the past couple months that watching you be so brave with this has changed me too. And it's been like an exhale of not only about you and saving your life, but like what I'm allowed to do with my life Mm -hmm. and my hunger. And, and I just think that what you're doing is so personally powerful. And I think that me as a pod squatter, that what you're doing is revolutionary because I think we can all take a deep breath and be Mm. like, oh, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm. We're doing a new thing. Yeah. Mm. Let's do a new thing. I love you both. I love you, Pod Squad. Thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for listening. Let us do a new thing. See you next time. Hi, everybody. I'm um, back with a new segment that we're calling This is What Glennon's Therapist Said to Tell Everybody After Listening to All the Things She Just Said About Eating Disorders. So I am asking my amazing therapist to listen carefully for anything that could be triggering or wrong um, in what I'm saying because I'm fully committed to making this a helpful, safe conversation to have and not anything that could be hurtful. So my therapist listened to the episode that you just listened to, and here were her notes. First of all, she noticed that when I told you all um, about the diagnosis, I said that my doctor said, you are anorexic. Okay. Um, My therapist said that she would highly, she highly doubted that that's how my doctor would have said it to me. Um, That that is likely what I heard, but what the, the doctor would have said was that I have anorexia that I am a human being who has anorexia, who is suffering from anorexia, but that um, we don't, she doesn't like to put a disease name after I am, which is so interesting that I did that because my entire book is about never putting anything after I am. (laughs) So um, 
she actually said the words to me, what we tell ourselves is important. So instead of saying I am anorexic, what I would say is I have anorexia and maybe one day I will not have it. Um, Okay. Another thing she noticed is that I said, you know, I was bulimic and now, well, maybe I was never bulimic and now I'm anorexic. And she said, these things morph. Okay. It's just like, this could be just like gender or sexuality and things aren't on a binary. Things aren't this or that, that often these things just morph and change in our lives. Um, she also says she does not call anorexia disease. She calls it a disorder that we can be reordered from. Mm. She also noticed, um, which I thought was interesting, a little bit of me disavowing my sensitivity is what she called it. Like I was saying, well, I thought I was just sensitive, but actually it was all these things in my family and in the world. Um, And she said, maybe it's an and both that I actually am an extremely sensitive human being and that that should not be discounted. um, And that it's actually a very strong, beautiful thing to be. Um, So there's an and both there, not an either or. Um, And then the last thing she noticed, which I love, is that she noticed when I talked about um, learning that being anorexic is a lot about control and discipline and wanting to be, what am I going to replace that with now? What am I going to replace it with? And what my therapist is often talking to me about is my tendency to be extreme about things. So I'm either this or that. And when I'm trying to undo something, I tend to do the opposite of that thing and go the opposite way in extremes. And that what is going to replace that discipline and control is balance. Not that I'm looking for the absolute opposite of that thing to run towards it. Like on, I don't know, day four with her where I told her I was going to cut all my hair off and get rid of all of my clothes. And she said, maybe we slow down and look for balance because in lots of ways, rebellion is just as much of a cage as obedience. And what we're looking for is this elusive balance. Maybe one day. Thank you, Pot Squad. I give you Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire. I came out the other side. Stop asking directions. It's a place.
We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine.